Thank you, fellas, for cheering our hearts this morning and preparing our hearts to hear the word. Uh, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4, and let's hold our fingers there. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to congratulate Abby Suzik on being a state champion in the 400-meter sprint in the state indoor. I don't know if she's here. Are you here, Abby? She's not here. She may be outside somewhere serving. There, she's upstairs. She's out in the back. She's with Children's Ministry. But uh, make sure if you see Abby to congratulate her. That is... Um, Many people say that's the hardest sprint uh, to run, um, but uh, God's blessed Abby uh, to be able to do that very, very well and uh, maintain a tremendous testimony uh, in the meantime. So congratulations uh, to her uh, and to her family as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 was read for us. I want to pay particular attention this morning uh, to one verse among all of those verses that's always been impressive to me. Uh, in verse 18, verse 18 says, But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body. The New American Standard says, Just as he what? Just as he desired. If you recall last week, we said the, the unity or the togetherness of the body of Christ in a local level begins with God. It must be maintenanced by God's people, and it ends unto the glory of God. God has planned it all. God has placed the members there. God has individually gifted those saved members within that local body and it's what his desire is and so when we gather together that's one among many reasons why we say this is a sacred gathering this is something that God has done would you agree I want you to think about it I want you to know as your pastor I have to think about this all the time and it's not just because of my job. Sometimes I wonder, you know, what's, what's my role here? And you say, well, your role here is to be a pastor teacher. Well, what's my role then as a pastor teacher in my community? I can't be a pastor teacher to everyone in my community. So why do I exist in Northeast Ohio? Why do I exist in this particular area of Northeast Ohio? And we talk about that often, about our eternal purpose here. But did God place me here? I want to ask you a question. Did God place you here? You say, Pastor, I know he placed me in the global body of Jesus Christ. But did he really have anything to do with placing me here in this local body? You have to wrestle that out. I wrestle that out for myself. When I look at Paul writing to the church of Corinth, he's writing to a church in a city. Would you agree? It's the saints at the church of Corinth. 
That's what we would call a, a geographic area, a particular city. So when an author of scriptures writing to the recipients that are in a particular city, and he writes verse 18, is it or could it possibly be fair to say that God not only has a, a role in placing you into his global body, but he also has a desire, a plan for you to place you into a local body? And if that answer is yes, then we have to answer the ultimate why. Why did he do that? It's certainly got to be beyond just gathering together, going through the motions of worship, which are necessary, they're biblical, all the one anothering that we can do in scriptures, unto, unto eternal purpose. Unto, unto eternal purpose. Let's go back to Ephesians 4. We've been studying the disposition of spiritual togetherness. We know it's sourced in divinity. It's divinely sourced in the Spirit of God. It's maintenanced by us who are governed by the same Spirit. Right? And it's theologically underpinned, uh, I believe here beautifully, in Ephesians chapter 4, with the mention of seven particular ones that solidify for me in my thinking, I hope for you in your thinking, um, it, uh, that, that this unity, this togetherness that we experience, that we enjoy, has been divinely built. I would say miraculously built, miraculously put together unto eternal purposes. We noticed last week in Ephesians chapter 4 that there is one body, verse 4. One spirit, just as also you were called into one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. We're one body. We've been placed into this body for divine purpose, as we've already said, and it's a beautiful body. I would love, which would probably never happen, but I would love everyone on a Sunday morning to stand and give their salvation testimony. What country did you come from? How were you adopted into the family of God? How did you move to this area? How did God lead you to Grace Church of Mentor? And then to tell us why he did. Hundreds of miracles of God's intention and his desire all across the auditorium. We're many, but we're one. We're one body. We discussed that last week. A quote was given to me by a member of our congregation this week I thought was appropriate as we segue from one body to understanding one spirit here. It's a quote by Brand in his book In His Image. It says, if one part of the body suffers, every part suffers. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. God called each of us to make a contribution to this body. Without it, the body malfunctions. Only one thing required is to be loyal to the head of the body, Jesus Christ, and 
through the head to each other. Each of us can learn to glory in the fact that we matter little except in relationship to the body. And if each will acknowledge the work in every other member, then maybe perhaps Christ's body will begin acting as Christ intended. We are connected by a thousand invisible threads. Our our actions run as causes and return to us as results. We should be serving as Christ did washing the disciples' feet for the sake of the body. We experience human helplessness versus divine power in us. We're not like the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. What is God like? No longer found in the Holy of Holies or as a carpenter in Nazareth. Nazareth. We are God's presence in the world. We are the body. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? It's a spiritual thing, and it's been put together as God desired and God planned for eternal purposes. The source of our togetherness is found in the Spirit of God. We've already looked at that. But it says here we're one body, verse number four, and one spirit, one spirit. You may find the spirit being mentioned first here, a bit odd in the sense that within the context we've already seen in verse 3 exactly why. It is the Spirit who produces the unity between us and Christ and creates for us a bond of peace we all enjoy with God and with one another. It is the Spirit that brings the indwelling, animating, convicting, illuminating presence to the body along with all of the unity we enjoy. The pastors read earlier, 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13, by one spirit, the spirit of God, the third person, if you will, of the Godhead, we are all baptized into one body. I believe that's why these are juxtaposed in verse 4. There's one body and one spirit. It's the spirit that places us into Jesus Christ and consequently into the body of Christ globally and locally. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16 tells us that the spirit of God dwells in you. We're placed into Jesus Christ, but when you're born again, Jesus Christ does not come into your heart. We're already placed by the Spirit into Jesus Christ, but the Spirit of God comes to dwell in you. Jesus Christ said, I am going away from you, but I'm sending somebody else just like me, and he will indwell you. He will indwell you. So when you turned your life over to Jesus Christ, By turning from your sin and placing your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God forever took up residence in your person. In your person. And you are sealed by him under the day of redemption because you have been justified 
and forever reconciled when you were regenerated by the Spirit of God. It is the Spirit of God who is our life-giving source when we're born again in Christ. Certainly, as we've already said, he's the third person of the Godhead, yet still one with the Father. He is the Spirit who not only regenerated our hearts, but placed us into unity with Jesus Christ. He is the source of our unity as a body. And now we worship with one Spirit who exclusively moves according to the Word of God which He inspired and He never moves contrary to that Word. I think it'd be smart to write down here in the margin of your Bible right next to one Spirit if you have room or you believe in doing that. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. The Apostle John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you may know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist of which you have heard that it is coming and now it is already in the world. Many spirits of influence have always existed and they exist today. If we had time to go across the auditorium, each of us could name some different spirit that maybe had an influence on you in your past. Just ask yourself the question, how do people today feel that they gain favor with God and how do they feel that they gain entrance into heaven? Within their own answers, you'll find out how many spirits exist today and there's a whole lot more. How many antichrists are alive and well in our culture? If you were to ask 15 different people how do you get to heaven you may get 15 different answers none of them may include the gospel you may not get religious answers at all how do we find our way to peace in the afterlife and you'll find a hundred different more spirits of how people find peace or how they think they're going to find peace as they make their way to the afterlife Test the spirits, though, whether they be of God. And unless they teach and preach that there's salvation alone in Jesus Christ, there's a spirit of Antichrist. It's not the one spirit of God who ever exists to underpin and support the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's his exclusive purpose but we have one spirit who has placed us into one christ and into one body can you remember this since we know the spirit has done so much to provide unity for us all sins hodge says this all sins against spiritual togetherness are therefore sins against the holy spirit they dissever that which he binds together 
our relation to Christ as members of his body and our relationship to the Holy Spirit who is our life demands of us that we love our brethren and live at peace among them. Again, this is a sacred gathering. None of us are going to take off our shoes because we're commanded by God in this dispensation to do so because we walk on holy ground. But God, the Spirit, one Spirit placed you into one body for one purpose. What's our mission? A handful of years ago, you all broke up and we said, how are we going to do our mission statement together, right? How are we going to glorify God by evangelizing the lost and equipping the saints with the goal of Christ like this? We got to put the hands and feet to this. Some of you got together and you said, well, we have one God, Deuteronomy chapter 6, right? The Lord our God, he is one. He's put together one people here in our local church, and he's given them one mission. One God, one people, one mission. The Spirit of God is the source of that oneness. And therefore, I think everything that we do with each other is a sacred activity. And I pause because I want that to sink in. Everything we do together is a sacred activity. And we exist unto the eternal purposes that our own Savior existed. One body, one spirit, and one hope. Let's go to chapter 1 of Ephesians real quick. Go back over to the left a page or two. Let's discuss the singular hope that we have. Beginning in verse 11, the Apostle Paul begins to describe it here. He says, Also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end, to the end, that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, would be to the praise of of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of of his glory. Skip down to verse 18. So Paul prays that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? These are in accordance with the working 
of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and sealed him and seated him at the right hand of the heaven, in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection unto his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This one body has one spirit, and it has one hope. If you go back over to Ephesians chapter 4, it says here, this is the hope of your calling. This is the hope of your calling. We have been called to the inheritance of the saints in light. Again, this, this calling in theological terms for those of you that may be newer to Christianity. Some theologians would say there's a general calling of all men to look to Jesus Christ, and then there's an effectual calling. This is where the grace of God so omnipotently works in your heart to convince you that you're lost and that you need a Savior. And that's when you turn from your sin and place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he calls you into the body of Christ. And you're placed into Christ by this Spirit, as we've already said. And when you're placed into Christ by the Spirit, you're given a singular hope. And it is a certain hope. It is a, a hope of your calling. In other words, as certain as your calling, so is your hope to come your inheritance to come. As certain you as you are in Jesus Christ right now, if you've been born again. So your hope is certain. The Bible tells us that this is a, this is a productive hope. Right here in the margin of your Bible, 1 John 3, 1 to 3, which many of you are familiar with. If this hope resides in you, this hope purifies you, it makes you more like your Savior on a regular basis. We look to the hope, the Lord Jesus Christ and his coming. And as we look for that hope, we're growing more and more into his likeness. This hope compels us to a greater fellowship with God. As we've already read, him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who has given us a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. And so again, just as there are many spirits in the world, there are also many hopes in the world. For the Christian, our hope is not probable, sentimental, or mystical. It's certain. It's immutable. And it's of divine character. It is the hope of our calling. Our calling and election are sure to change us. So our calling gives a character that loves to hope, and our hope develops a love to increase our character. Our hope is sourced in a person, and our hope is looking for a person. 
and both are divine persons. When we look to our hope, the Lord Jesus Christ that's coming, what do we seek to be released from? We seek to be released from the presence of sin, don't we, right? And we seek to be released from the power of sin. Are you tired of being tempted? You know, one of the most agonizing things for me is, is like a person, is like when I get up and I read my Bible and I pray and I start off my day governed by the Spirit of God that I still get tempted to sin. That's one of the most discouraging things in my daily existence. How can that happen? I was taught that if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the lust of the flesh. <laughs> oh, this war that's within us, right? The flesh is at war with the Spirit, and the Spirit is at war with the flesh. But this hope, this hope that we are focused upon, is a hope of our calling, and just as sure as our calling changes our character. Certainly, as we look to our hope, our character will be practically developed unto Christ's likeness. And we'll look and we'll live. My hope gives me the certain conviction that maybe today I'll be released from the influence of sin in my own life. And that would just simply be awesome. My hope, which is very certain, maybe today, if we see our hope, will release me from the presence of sin. And my friends, if even the rocks can cry out for release from the effects of sin, how much more the saints of God. As we said, there's lots of spirits in our world that give us hope. There's a lot of college students right now that, that have their hopes set on one person getting elected so their college debt can be relieved, right? There's a lot of hopes that we have, and we're banking on those hopes, right? There's a lot of things that people live for that's going to give them temporary relief, and it seems to them like life-changing, life-altering relief. And I get that, but this is eternal stuff. This is salvific material. This is, this is gospel fruit. This passion that we have to see our hope and to be released from that which is certainly part of our reality that we long to be released from, the, the presence and the power of sin. One hope of our calling. And there's one Lord. There's one Lord. Verse 4 says... One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all. The Greek word for Lord here. If it was written in Hebrew, I believe would be Yahweh. Yahweh. Jesus Christ in the Gospels is called Lord, kurios, I believe over 500 times. The declaration of the deity of the person of Jesus Christ himself is embodied in this title, this name. Jesus is Yahweh. 
And when Paul says that this one body has one Lord, he's saying this one body is subservient to the rule of this Lord, of Yahweh. It includes possession and authority. A Lord who is both owner of all and sovereign over all. I have written down here in the margin of my Bible from years ago, 1 Corinthians 16, 6, 19 and 20. I know that I'm bought with a price. Therefore, I'm owned by God and everything that I have is his. And therefore, I'm to glorify God in my body and my spirit, which are his. So literally, we are his slaves. And within this slavery, herein consists our liberty, Charles Hodge says. Think about that. We never think of slavery and liberty as being synonymous. But when we are under the authority of one Lord, we are enslaved to his command. Inside there, inside that reality, is all of our liberty. Hodge goes on to say that absolute subjection to truth and holiness, only it is to a person who is infinite in knowledge and infinite in excellence. Our subjection to the Lord is based upon not just the fact that he is sovereign God, but that he is Jesus, the God-man who purchased with his own blood our spiritual freedom from sin and our eternal life. Romans chapter 14 and verse 9 says, For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. The book of Ephesians that we've been in for the last few weeks, uh, defining our purpose for the year, doing divine things together. There are some 20 references to Christ as Lord in these six chapters. We find within the book of Ephesians in chapter 1 that in him every spiritual blessing consists. And in him our faith is exercised. In chapter 2, in the Lord God's new, we are the Lord God's new creation. The holy temple in Christ is growing. And in the Lord we find our purpose in chapter 4. He is the Lord who fills his universe with his sovereign rule. He is the Lord who is the head of the church. We have one Lord. And I would just ask you, do you know him? Are you governed by one who's calling the shots in your life? Who's at the controls? I would ask you this, whether you say that you've been in the faith for days or decades, who's governing your life? In our world, we're always told about dark, wicked despots, right? The leaders of communism in some places in the world, the leaders of terrorism Despots, sovereign, autonomous, self-governed rulers who bring death and darkness and tragedy. Our one Lord 
is a despot, but he's a despot of life and of peace. And a freely living, governed by the Spirit of God, where we live all of our lives to exude the fruit of the Spirit of God as outlined in Galatians chapter 5. And against such, there is no law. There's no limit. In this slavery, we find ultimate liberty. One Lord. One ruler. Remember we said a couple weeks ago, you really can't say that you know the gospel unless the gospel's changed the way you live, right? That's why I'm not asking people anymore if you died today, are you sure you're going to heaven? Because most people I ask that question today say, yes, I'm going. And then when you ask them why, you find out how many spirits are in the world, right? <laughs> and then I go back and you gotta ask the question, so have you ever come to a point in your life where you just completely started to change the way you lived. And they'll say, yeah. Yeah, I went to the doctor and my blood pressure was high and I was diagnosed with sugar and, and uh, I changed the way I lived because I didn't want to die. Right? So that's good. Yeah, that's definitely one way that consumes you, for sure. Have you ever met a Lord who changed the way you lived and the content of the character of your life. Who turned you away from sexual immorality, who turned you away from a life of lies. Who turned you away from being disrespectful to God-given authority. Who turned you away from addiction. substances, to pornography, to alcohol. Have you met that Lord? Because he's one Lord, and he has one responsibility once you entrust your life to him, and that's to change your life. And he calls the shots. This is the Lord of the body body of Christ globally and locally and it's one faith right it's one faith you say what is our faith some might say well it's a doctrinal statement of our church right just look at our constitution faith here is not speaking solely or exclusively of a formal statement of faith yes the Bible does speak of the doctrinal content of our faith Galatians chapter 1 and verse 23, Paul preached the faith. Acts chapter 6 and verse 7 says men were obedient to the faith. Jude 3 says that we are to contend earnestly for the faith once delivered for the saints. But we've got to recall the context of our passage this morning. Paul has been addressing the inward change that comes as a result of being saved by Christ alone. That's the gospel, right? Chapters 1 through 3. One faith is simply one born-again experience, one conversion, one miraculous transformation of the heart, one act of infinite grace and mercy on our broken, sinful human condition. There must always be a divine, similar, inward change of our hearts before we can agree upon doctrine and creed, and that's the one faith we're discussing. 
Our doctrinal statement as a church based off the scriptures is only embraced when you've been saved by faith. This is part and parcel of demonstration of a changed life. One Lord, one faith. He changes your life and he guides your life now by his sole source of rule and practice and living, the scriptures. Saving faith gives birth to living by faith and according to faith. That's what's being discussed here. One conversion. One act of divine transformation of your soul. All of us here who have been born again have experienced that. Else I suppose you probably wouldn't be here. There must always be a divine, similar, inward change of our hearts before we can agree upon doctrine and creed. One baptism. One baptism. Now there's two baptisms, I think, discussed in this text. When it says we're sourced, our unity sourced in the Spirit of God... And we've already talked about one spirit from 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13 whose baptism places us into the body of Christ. I think we've already discussed spirit baptism. I think this particular baptism is what we all experience from Brother Daniel last Sunday morning. I believe this in particular is water baptism. After we've been transformed by the Lord Jesus Christ by infinite grace and certainly an act of early obedience after conversion is our public proclamation that we have identified with what this one body believes and we're publicly proclaiming what this one spirit has done and how this one Lord has taken over my life and placed me into this one family for eternal purposes and my baptism proclaims the reality of the change in my own life and the direction in my own life now. I am committed. I am committed. One baptism. One of the younger people that had been born again recently here, and recently just is around the Christmas time, they heard Daniel's testimony, and I was getting changed back here last Sunday, and and uh, he came up and he stood up front here. Um, there was a lot of Cleveland Institute of Music friends and associates and family here last week, and it was a glorious uh, opportunity to have all those folks. He stood among them, and he waited for me. And, uh, and he came out. When I came out, um, he had tears in his eyes with a big old smile on his face, and he goes, he goes, that was really interesting to me. He goes, I've never seen one of those in my life. But I said, is it interesting because this is the first time you've experienced? And he goes, no. He goes, no. He goes, I think I should do that. Because my heart feels the same way of what he said in his testimony. I believe this stuff, he said. <laughs> this is what I want to do. One baptism. You're already baptized into Christ by the Spirit, and that would require a water baptism. Right? What a great testimony. 
Tristan was to our whole church. And then Daniel last week, among so many others that have stood in that tank and all been baptized one time, one baptism, to identify themselves with all that God's done here, particularly in the gospel. And in working out our salvation with fear and trembling together. Under the new covenant, we are all washed by the blood of Christ and made new within. We are all called from the world to new life in Christ. And there is a way we physically demonstrate this, right? It's water baptism. Have you followed the Lord in water baptism since you've been born again? If you haven't, please allow us to help you move towards that act of obedience. or publicly identifying with what's already happened in your heart. It's a command of God to participate, and we certainly would love to help you do that. One God and Father in all, of all, who is over all and through all and in us all. We close by just mentioning this morning the seventh and final one. We close by stating first that God is not distantly sovereign over all, he sustains us. He is through all. He is personally father to us. He is in us all by the life-giving presence of the Holy Spirit of God. Our special relationship with him, Jesus initiated it by how he addressed God in the Lord's Prayer. In Christ, now, we have a Father, a divine spiritual Father who is personally interested in a relationship with us. And I don't know if you noticed this before. I believe I'm correct in saying this. In all the different ways that God was addressed in the Old Testament, he was never addressed as Father. It wasn't until the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ we learned from the life of Christ and his prayer life that he addressed God as his own Father. In the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, right? Our Father who art in heaven. It's, it's not as if it's the reality that Jesus Christ has even introduced our time, our dispensation, to a new and intimate relationship with our Creator. Father, I think of Galatians, right? Chapter 4 where the Apostle Paul says, now in Christ we can cry unto the Father and call him Abba Father. So, so that Aramaic term was introduced to us by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, right? Papa? Daddy, could it be? Could it be that Yahweh, that our Creator, that the Lord of hosts, and all the myriad of other names that he was known by in the Old Testament, could it be that this infinite one we could address as daddy? One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in us all. And I would ask you, is your relationship with the Father that intimate? Can it be reverential and somewhat formal, but yet just as intimate? 
Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Certainly he's the Holy One. Can it be formal and can it be reverent, but can also be intimate? The Lord Jesus Christ in John 17 in his high priestly prayer, just before he was crucified, said, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Each inwardly transformed soul by salvation in Christ present here today exists and it is sustained by a loving Heavenly Father. One commentator stated something that I appreciated he said, the church is the habitation of God through the Spirit. It is His temple in which He dwells and which is pervaded in all of its parts by His presence. The preposition through here does not here express instrumentality, but diffusion. It is not that God operates through all, but that He pervades all and abides in all. This is the climax. To be filled with God, to be pervaded by his presence, and to be controlled by him is to attain the summit of all created excellence, blessedness, and glory. The sovereign, providential, personal, divine attention is unto a purpose, and it is the purpose of the glorious church of Jesus Christ as outlined by Jesus himself in his Matthew 28, 19, and 20 prophetic utterance, the marching orders for the church. We are really God on display in our culture, understanding these things. We are not God. We understand that. But he is Lord of us, right? We are indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God unto the purposes of of why Jesus Christ even came. There's an old basketball coach that many of you are familiar with, and I know women don't typically like sports illustrations, but those ladies in sports probably will. He said this in a book that I read about his life. He said, be more concerned with character than reputation." Character is what you are, and reputation is what people think you are. We are one body put together here in this local area by the Spirit of God unto one purpose. And that purpose is to take the character of Jesus Christ into our community. Jesus Christ himself said, let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and come to glorify your Father that's in heaven. We don't have a gospel unless we have a changed life. And this changed life will demonstrate those good works that are works of another kind. They're works that only demonstrated when our lives have been surrendered to a singular, divine, spiritual despot, Lord of all. And as a body, we get to pursue these eternal efforts and we get to do it together, doing divine things together. So I ask you as we close this morning, 
Are you part of the body? Do you desire to be part of the body? If so, you need to understand that's not just done through membership. That's done through you turning your life over to the Lord Jesus Christ and understanding what it means to be born again. And we'd love to talk to you about that. If that's something your heart desires, no man comes into the Father unless the Father draws him, right? And we trust that he may be drawing you this morning. If you're here this morning, you don't know him. For those of us who are part of this body, think about who planned it. Think about whose desire it was. And then think about the why he put you here. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love you. Uh, We thank you for the simplicity of your word this morning. Pray, Lord, that its practical value would, by your grace, be instructive to our hearts. I pray, Lord, that what you've put together will always be maintenanced by us with the proper disposition for appropriate doctrinal and missional reasons. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that does not know you as Lord and Savior, the Spirit of God would so work on their hearts compel them to know what it means to be born again. Help us, Lord, as a family to teach them that, that they might know their Creator as Lord and Savior. In His name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand now. We're going to sing number in your 102 in your black hymnals. We're going to sing two verses. We have a two-minute uh, meeting that we need to have with, as members of our church. So I'm going to ask Pastor Mike, uh, maybe Pastor Hobie, and a couple of our elders to go greet folks in the lobby, if that's okay. And um, on the second verse of the hymn, if you are a regular attendee here, we're so glad you're here. Um, this meeting is going to be a quick two-minute vote of our members. On the second verse, if you're a non-member, you may be dismissed. And we'll look forward to having a quick meeting here as we wrap up today. All right, let's all stand together and sing.